Welcome to the Lewis Jonker Podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. My sermon today is called Chaos at the Crucifixion. Chaos at the Crucifixion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was Tohu Bohu Hosek. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was Tohu Bohu Hosek. Some Hebrew words for your Good Friday morning. The earth was translated chaos, empty, and dark. Chaos, empty, and dark. And the Spirit hovered over the chaos, the emptiness, and the darkness. And it's from this chaos, emptiness, and darkness that God created everything that we experience. From the chaos, the emptiness, and the darkness, God creates. I guess my question is, have you ever felt the darkness, emptiness, and chaos? The pain of a broken heart, the anxiety of the unknown, the loss of loved ones, the dark corridor between the bedroom and the bathroom in the middle of the night, The scream of children in the back of a car on a holiday road trip that was meant to be relaxing. (laughs) The emptiness of losing a passion. The pangs of a midlife crisis. The disappointment of wasted time. The cripple of insecurity. Have you ever felt the darkness, the emptiness and the chaos? This Good Friday, we remember that Jesus felt the darkness, the emptiness and the chaos. And we can reflect on the darkness, the emptiness, and the chaos of the crucifixion. Today I'm going to be going through the story of the crucifixion from Matthew 27, from verse 45 onwards. And I want to look at these three elements of the crucifixion, the darkness, the emptiness, and the chaos. The darkness that we have all felt and experienced in our world, the emptiness we have all felt and experienced, the chaos we have all felt and experienced. I want to go through these three words, the tohu, the bohu, the hosek, and see how it came out in the crucifixion and what the outcome was. Because I know that it's from the tohu, bohu, hosek, that God creates and God moves and God brings good. So I'm going to start at darkness, the darkness. It says this in Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. At this point, our King Jesus, who we celebrate and worship, has been hung on the cross. And last night at our Maundy Thursday service, we reflected on that. He's been put on the cross, and they've raised him up as a mockery to all people. 
And from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. This is uh, some historical context in the, in the, in the uh, Johnny can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way that the Romans do time, it means time starts at 6 a.m. So 6 a.m. is the first hour, which means when we read the sixth hour and the ninth hour, this means it was dark from 12 until three o'clock in the afternoon. So at a time when it is meant to be daylight, at a time when the sun is meant to be shining, uh, you know, a, beautiful, a, a good Friday for a crucifixion, the sun is shining, but it's not shining. From 12 to 3, it seems to go dark. Throughout history, history people have thought, well, maybe there was sort of like, like a lunar eclipse or maybe the clouds just covered the sun. We really don't know. Some theologians say that it's just metaphorical that at the darkest hours of Jesus' time on the cross, it felt dark. Darkness was over the land. It's easy to see the darkness in our world. It's so easy to see the darkness in our world. It's so easy to see the darkness in our world. I know that you've seen it. I know that I've seen it. I know that we've all seen it. There's, there's darkness. There is a lot of good. There is a lot of beauty. There's a lot of sunshine, but there's also a lot of darkness. Even if it's only for three hours of your day, there is so much darkness. And as Jesus hangs on a cross, he hangs there in darkness. Oh, we may as well get straight into the deep stuff. I didn't know whether I'd tell this story or not, but I told this the other day at the night service and I wanna tell it again. Darkness. It's from a place of darkness uh, and racism that Martin Luther King uh, gets up and does an amazing speech when his people, the African Americans, are consistently being, uh, being mistreated. And so Martin Luther King gets up in the middle of darkness and he, and he does a phenomenal speech. I have a, I have a dream to reconcile all people to bring people together. I have a dream that we'll all, we'll all do this journey together. And it's from that darkness, he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, hate cannot drive. He sees the darkness in the world. And it's a darkness that still exists today. On June 17 in 2015 in Charleston, at a women's Bible study, at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, a young white man decided he was going to attend the women's Bible study that they were holding. And so he walks into the church and they all greet him with open arms, these African-American women. Yes, come and join us, come and sit with us, come and experience our Bible study. And at this service, at this Bible study, he sits in this church, the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal, Episcopal Church. And he sits through the whole Bible study and at the end, when it's the time of prayer, I don't know if any of you have ever been to a connect group or a Bible study or been dragged along to one, but often there's a time of prayer. And as there's a time of prayer, everyone bows their head, closes their eyes, and this young white man pulls out a weapon and uh, shoots down nine of the people in that room. There is darkness in our world. There is no rhyme or reason for something like this to occur. It is so, so, so dark. But I know, just like in the beginning, that from the darkness God creates all things, sometimes good can come. And in this dark environment, 
The church doesn't respond how you would expect them to, with anger or revenge. But instead, they continue to open up their doors. And there's a video I really, 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 really love. And it's uh, a video of a music group called Maverick City Music, who have some African-Americans as part of their as part of their group of musicians. And they decided that they were going to go to the church and record music in the church, in the place where there would have been blood-stained carpets, in the place of an unbelievable grief. And they actually do invite some, uh, it's mostly the Maverick City Music Band, but they even invite some people from the choir from that church to actually join them in the choir and sing. And you can imagine uh, the people of the church coming to church that day as they're recording this album and filming this album, which, you know, there's a lot that goes into filming and recording. It can all look a bit performative and all that sort of stuff. But if you look past all the performance and you look past all the recording, you look past all the directors saying action and cut, I can imagine some, some African-Americans sitting in the back of this church, watching what is going on, seeing this place of grief and pain be turned into a place of joy and hope and they sing this song and the main line in this song is fear is not my future you are death is not the end you are and actually I wouldn't mind playing um, some of this song Chris and then I'll I'll let you know when we've heard enough because it goes for 18 minutes you can look it up but this is the church where there were bloodstained carpets And this is what God did with that church. Thanks, Caleb. You can pay that out. Can you imagine? being a member of a choir of that church, the grief, the pain, and the memories associated with that location. And somehow, you say yes to singing on the choir of Maverick City Music, singing that death is not the end. And darkness is not the end. (sighs) Emptiness. Emptiness, emptiness. And so, from verse 46, Jesus, it says this, and at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was quoting a psalm at this point, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting this psalm and everyone there, the Jews, would have known this psalm. Any Jew watching on would have known this psalm, Psalm 22. And what Jesus was trying to say when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because also in Psalm 22, further down, it says this, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. Sometimes when we uh, look at a nice wooden cutout of a cross, uh, we can forget the torment uh, that it actually brought. 
We can think of it as just, you know, symbolic when we wear it as jewelry on a necklace, a beautiful silver cross. But, uh, and I love my beautiful silver cross. But it was actually torment. It was torture. It was, uh, it was all my bones are out of joint and his heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. Can you imagine the emptiness that Jesus felt in this moment? I am poured out like water. Our church theme this year is overflow. This idea of being filled up and overflowing into the world. But in this moment, Jesus wasn't feeling the overflow. In this moment, Jesus, he had poured it all out. He had given it his all. He had paid the ultimate price the ultimate emptiness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if you've seen the emptiness in the world. Uh, The meaninglessness, meaningless, meaningless friendships, meaningless relationships, meaningless, 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 meaningless pursuits to buy and to own and to have things that we don't even really want to impress people. We don't even really care what they think. It's like the meaninglessness of this world, the emptiness of this world. I know that this world is empty because I work with youth ministry, in youth ministry, and I've worked with youth for over 10 years in different contexts, chaplain, youth, uh, uh, youth groups, whatever. And I know this world is empty. And it breaks my heart. I know this world is empty because I've met the young people of this world. Not all of them, but some of them. And I know this world is empty because sometimes you can see it in the scars on their arms. This gospel, this truth is for an empty world that desperately needs hope, that desperately needs light, that desperate, this, this, this gospel is important because our world is empty. And maybe you haven't felt the same emptiness as other people, but I know you have your emptiness. I know it because I know I have my emptiness. And this is what I know, that the end of Psalm 22, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The end of Psalm 22 reveals that God has never actually turned his face away. And so sometimes we get this verse wrong and we think that Jesus is saying that God has turned his face away. But the end of Psalm 22 reveals that even if you feel empty and even if you feel like God has turned his face away, He hasn't actually turned his face away. The end of Psalm 22. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the affliction and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. If you haven't heard that before, and I know sometimes it's preached a lot on Good Friday, but that should blow your mind. 
When Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God hears him. And all the Jews knew that. Jesus was saying, even in my emptiest, even when I feel like God has turned his face away, when the Father has turned his face away, truthfully, he has been with me all along. And truthfully, he's with you in your emptiness. And he's with the young people I work with in their emptiness. And the chaos, the chaos of the crucifixion. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus passes away on the cross. Chaos. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In the temple, they had this really thick curtain that sort of separated uh, the holiest places in the temple. And Jesus was saying, everyone gets access to the holiest. But it was a thick curtain. And so for this thing to tear from top to bottom, I tell you what, the world was shaking. So this big, thick curtain, it tears in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook like an earthquake. And the rocks were split. It was chaos. It was chaos. And this... I've never heard a sermon on this particular verse. And the tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Um, I wish I could do a sermon on this verse alone because it's confusing. But this is like a scene from The Walking Dead. That's chaos, isn't it, Liam? (laughs) I feel convicted because the other day Liam was telling me there's this crazy verse in the Bible about the walking dead and people rising from tombs. He said he's never heard a sermon on it. Well, you're not going to get it today. Maybe next Good Friday. But at least I mentioned it. But I tell you what, it was chaos. People are chilling in the holy city and there's, there's people that were dead walking around. You know, they've half decomposed. It's like, I don't know what your favourite zombie movie is, but if you're a real Christian, you wouldn't watch them. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, nah, I love a good zombie movie. It was It was chaos. It was chaos. It was chaos. To, to a curtain split and rocks shaken, earth, 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 dead people walking around. It was chaos. Oh, chaos at the crucifixion. Chaos at the crucifixion. Chaos at the crucifixion. There's this man, um, Mitsu Fuchida. And um, this man uh, actually led the attack on Darwin. Uh, A Japanese uh, pilot commander led the attack on Darwin. But even more than that, he led the attack on Pearl Harbor. And so on December 7, 1941, at 7.40 a.m. in the dark of the morning, this man shot up a green flare from his aeroplane signaling that it was time to attack Pearl Harbor. I don't know if you've seen the movie Pearl Harbor, but it was chaos. Chaos. Ships sinking, planes flying, the rumble of the aircrafts. Absolute chaos. A tragedy, really. 2,403 Americans died and so did 64 Japanese. What chaos, what carnage, fire, darkness, 
the sea is sort of like swelling up and down as the boats drive and leave a wake that all the other boats have to sort of topple on. That you can imagine the noise. Like, can you imagine the noise of the gunfire and the bombs going off, like the explosions? Like, like loudness, shell shock, rocking, swaying, uh, death all around. The, the smell of gasoline. Chaos. Chaos. This man continued to live his life and he uh, led a bunch of other attacks, including, including Darwin, and he, he, he had some health difficulties, so they, you know, they promoted him or demoted him to paperwork and he became a bit of a commander. And very much later on in his life when the war had ended, he was part of a bunch of trials against... Uh, he, he had to be a witness in trials um, against Japanese uh, commanders or officers who had done war crimes in prisoner of war camps. So basically, uh, these Japanese soldiers were being accused of doing war crimes in Japanese uh, prisoner of war camps towards Americans or towards the Allies. And he had to give testimony. And um, everyone in those trials was sort of convicted of war crimes. And he harboured great resentment because he genuinely believed that the Japanese who were in American prisoner of war camps would have been treated just as badly. So he harboured this resentment like it's unfair you know, the Japanese are being, like, called war criminals, but the Americans are getting away with it. So he became bitter and angry. And, you know, the sort of the Japanese sort of, like, code of war sort of stuff, it was like revenge is the key. And so he went to do a bunch of research. So he wanted to go and interview uh, officers from American prisoner of war camps to see how they treated the Japanese. And he met a woman called Peggy Covell, a Christian woman who was a guard at one of the prisoner of war camps. And she had missionary parents and her missionary parents were killed by Japanese soldiers. And so Peggy Covell, a, a, an officer in an American prisoner of war camp, whose parents have been, who, whose missionary Christian parents have been killed by Japanese soldiers, uh, she's there and she has every right to enact revenge. And so th this man listens to her story, like, like her parents have been killed by missionaries. She's, she's in a prisoner of war camp. She can, you know, there's no cameras back in the day. She can do whatever she wants and she can get away with it. She can be mean. And instead, she tells him a story of, uh, of forgiveness. Of course, he doesn't really believe it. So he goes and visits some Japanese prisoners of war who interacted with Peggy. And instead of hearing stories about how they were mistreated in the prisoner of war camp, they told stories about how Peggy would bring them bread and water and treat them with grace and forgiveness. And so, Mitsu Fuchida, from that moment, dedicated his life to Christ because he had spent his whole life under the code of war that you do revenge and enact revenge at absolutely all costs. But instead, he saw a different way. He says this quote, life had no taste or meaning. It was empty, what did it all mean? But looking back, I can see now that the Lord had his hand on me. 
Looking back, I can see that the Lord had his hand on me. All of the chaos. And at the end of the chaos of the crucifixion, it says this. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were watching over Jesus saw the earthquake that took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And it's in the middle of this chaos, earthquakes, rocks splitting, curtains tearing, the walking, the walking dead. It's in the middle of this chaos that the true identity of Jesus is revealed, not just to the Jews or to everyday people, but to the very people that hung him on a cross, who put him there, who drove the nails in his hands. They get a revelation that truly this man is the son of God. Truly this man is the Messiah. Truly this man is the saviour. And no spoilers, but we're going to learn more about what happens after the crucifixion on Sunday. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created it from darkness, emptiness, and chaos. <laughs> I always think about my life. Plenty of darkness, emptiness, and chaos. But I believe the spirit is moving. And I believe it's from that that God creates. And I don't know about your life. I don't know if you come this morning feeling darkness, emptiness, and chaos. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you were dragged along or maybe you come every Sunday. I don't care. In your life, there might be some darkness, emptiness and chaos. There might be. But it's from there that God moves. I always say with our youth leaders, like our youth ministry is chaos. But I'm always like, it's from the chaos that God creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was Tohu, Bohu, Hosek. And God said, let there be light. 